Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks fall 4-3 to the Seattle Kraken on Saturday night at Rogers Arena. Back-to-back losses in regulation time for just the second time this season for the Vancouver Canucks who fell behind in the third period and then had to try to claw their way back. They got within one late in the hockey game, but they couldn't get the equalizer, so they fall to their Pacific Northwest rival. This is Rinkwide Vancouver brought to you by Betway Jeff Patterson along with Blake Price. And I don't know if this is reality setting in, Blake, or just a market correction Whatever the case, the Vancouver Canucks were 12-3-1 a couple of days ago. They're now 12-5-1 after the loss in Calgary and unable to bounce back. And that's one of the things the Canucks have done well in the early part of this season is respond from losses, but uh, this is now two in a row. Well, I, I thought it fascinating that tweet you had before the game uh, from Rick Tockett about adjustments that this team needed to make as other teams adjusted to them. And now we are going to have to see, I think, players and coaches come together and be the next ones to react because teams have definitely slowed the Canucks down. They have not had the breaks that they've had previously in the first dozen games of the season, and they're going to have to work to get back into the win column. They had opportunities here tonight. There is a world in which they at least force it past 60 minutes. Clearly teams are playing them a little bit tighter, a little bit differently than they were early in the season. Yeah, and I think this was opportunity last year. It's a 2-2 tie on home ice going to the third period. Now, we've made a lot of the travel and the compressed schedule, and they had five and eight, and then they had Friday off, and this is the start of five more in the next eight between now and next Saturday night. So it is a grueling stretch of the schedule, and that's why when you're at home, when you're in a 2-2 tie, when you've got the explosive offense that the Vancouver Canucks have, and you've got one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League, you want to think that boiled down to a 20-minute game, you can find a way to get the offense you need to eke out a win, even if it's not the prettiest. But hey, full credit to the Seattle Kraken. They don't score a lot of goals, or at least they haven't to this stage in the season. So for them to get four in regulation time, that's an awful lot. They are one of the lowest scoring teams in the National Hockey League, but they got four. Thatcher Demko gave up four on home ice for the first time this season. The Vancouver Canucks lose in regulation for the first time this season. So credit to the Kraken. I mean, they kind of stuck to their game plan. They trailed in after the first period, but once they got the lead, they played a pretty conservative game. And yet, saying that, they still had opportunities, and Demko was forced to make some saves to keep it close for the Vancouver Canucks. But in the end, uh, the four get past him. There were a few breakdowns that uh, we haven't characteristically seen from the Canucks, or if we have, Thatcher Demko's been there to be that magical eraser. And, you know, I'm not sure that he was at the very, very top of his game. He's been there pretty much all season long, so uh, guys allowed the odd off night, if that's what this one was. But in the end, a little bit sloppy, and... I don't know about you, but it did feel like at one nothing, and it remains one nothing till the 5.43 mark of the second period. So the Canucks get the lead, the video review. Yes, the Miller back end just squeaked across the goal line, and so that one counted. So the Canucks got the start that they were looking for, as they did in Calgary the other night, but they weren't able to build on it, and it did sort of feel into the early stages of the second, and even after Jamie Alexiak ties the game, it felt like the Canucks were sort of waiting for the referee's arm to go in the air to get their first power play of the night because we know that they have feasted uh, with the man advantage. And unfortunately for them, they had to wait a whole lot longer into the third period, well into the third, to get a power play. Yes, they finished with three, the Hoaglander goal late in the game as it was the other night in Calgary, and good for him. But suddenly, offense has become a little bit of an issue for this hockey club. 
we were wondering where the five on five goals would come from, and they get three of those here. So it's about asking for it all really to come together in in one game because they have not seen a lot of five on five goals. They get three in this one. They don't get any power play time really to work with, just two minutes and twenty one seconds in total on the night. They had a great possession. I mean, it was it was a really fun power play to watch. Two minutes in the offensive zone, almost what was it, a minute fifty in the offensive zone. I don't know, were there glorious opportunities in that 150? I don't know that there were six-on-five, same sort of thing. A lot of six-on-five time, a lot of whipping the puck around, a lot of offensive zone time, and did they get the five-alarm chance? I, I I don't know that they did. So teams are are figuring out where the Canucks are moving the puck around, and they're, they're keeping them at bay right now. Yeah, officially just one shot on goal in the power play time. They had 20 seconds in the overlap, and then they had the one full penalty Ty Karche took when he tripped up Tyler Myers midway through that third period. And, you know, it's a 4-2 game at that point, but it was an opportunity for the Canucks to get within one. And if they do, we saw them use the power play to spur the comeback against the Islanders the other night. But, you know, that's been part of the story here, too. These last couple of games is you're chasing. And if you're a tired team, the mountain just gets that much steeper. So missed opportunity. A couple nights ago, they were 8-0 within the Western Conference going into the game in Calgary now have dropped back-to-back games, not only in the conference, but within the division. They weren't going to win them all. Uh, They were going to suffer some dents uh, in that record, and those dents have arrived here in uh, relatively quick succession. So when you look at reasons why this game unfolded the way that it did, and part of what you said, you know, decent puck movement, and again, player movement too on the power play, but you want your best player shooting the puck. Brock Besser, who leads this team in goals, he had one shot on goal in this hockey game, and Elias Pettersson with just one shot on goal as well. They had a couple of other attempts that didn't get through. In total, the Kraken blocked 17 shots compared to the Canucks who blocked 10. So give the Seattle defenders some credit in that regard. Jamie Alexiak, that big body, he was prominent in this game. He scored. He had four blocked shots on his own. So four of the 17 that were sent his way, he got in front of. So, uh, you know, that takes a little bit of courage and some, some bravery as well. But you want more. And we've been seeing more from Besser and Patterson. So again, maybe a little bit of an off night, whatever the case. One shot for Brock and one for Petey. That's not really, you know, in the game plan and the blueprint for success. 31 missed or blocked shots by the, the Canucks versus just 20 for the Kraken. So teams are collapsing and they're getting in front of shots and they're frustrating the Vancouver Canucks, but they've got to figure that out. Uh, they've got to find a way. And I, I think finding some speed, like a, Nils Hoaglander is kind of a uh, high event guy today. And look at this, Nils Hoaglander, which is 10.36 of ice time. He felt a lot more prominent than 10.36 of ice time. But his speed opened some things up for the Canucks. And I haven't noticed Sam Lafferty's speed as much. Uh, Aurelie Mikheyev in the last couple of games. Wouldn't mind to see those guys ramp it up to try to open up some of the ice that I saw Nils Hoaglander doing with his speed tonight. Yeah, and, and good for him. I mean, late, but they all count. I mean, he's up to five now, which is a pretty credible total for a guy that's getting that kind of ice time through 18 games. So good on him playing right through to the, the final buzzer. And you're right. Like When I look at the notes that I take as this game unfolds, early in the second period, there was that rush. Sam Lafferty dropped past to Besser. And unfortunately for him, we talked about Besser and his shots on goal. He hit Hoaglander, uh, who was sort of cutting in front of the net, but noticed Hoaglander... Uh, on the rush in that chance. And then to start the third period, Hoaglander with the wheels to get around Vince Dunn. And then Anthony Bovillier had that opportunity. Again, that tracks back to what I said earlier. You know, it was a 2-2 tie going to the third period. And right out of the gates, the Canucks had a chance to reestablish the lead that they had had in the first period. 
didn't happen there. Give Philip Grubauer credit. He made some of the saves that he had to make in that third period. But you're right. Second period, uh, right at the end there, in tight, had the rebound opportunity. We've talked a lot about Niels Hoaglander and, you know, has he played himself to the point where he won't come out of the lineup? Now, he was a healthy scratch in Montreal when Teddy Bluger came back and then Pia Suter has been injured here. And that's becoming a storyline as well because that's three games now for Pia Suter, who practiced in full on Tuesday out at UBC, was right there to the end. I was there. I watched him come off the ice. It didn't appear that anything was wrong. And that's the last we've seen of Pia Suter. And I would suggest that he was starting to play. I mean, he's been good for the Canucks, but he was finding his scoring touch as well. And if some of these other guys are struggling a little bit, uh, again, Brock Besser's not going to score every game, so it's hard to call him struggling. But Pia Suter had found uh, his offensive touch, and those goals obviously contributed to uh, a fair bit of Canucks success. So they've missed Pia Suter. Teddy Bluger injected back in the lineup. He bumps up. And then you talk about Sam Lafferty playing in the middle again. He's moved to the wing and then back into the middle. Uh, he's versatile, but he's gone pretty quiet, and he's not alone. Like, let me just throw some numbers out there, and feel free to jump in on any of these. But Andre Kuzmenko has gone seven without a goal, one in his last 12. Anthony Beauvillier, eight without a goal, and has only scored in the one game this year, and that was the 10-1 romp in San Jose. Connor Garland had the big night in Montreal, but... This has sort of been his form throughout is one big night, and then you're asking where is that on any sort of consistent basis? One goal in 17 for Garland, one in 16 for Dakota Joshua, and even Phil DiGiuseppe, who plays the role that they're asking him to play, but we did wonder about him in a top six role on this hockey club, the empty net goal in Montreal, his only goal in the last 11 games. So, you know, offense hasn't been an issue for this team, but the power play has masked an awful lot of that. And all of a sudden, you are now running into a stretch here where quite a few guys, maybe not the star, star, top-end guys and Miller and Pedersen and Hughes, all found the score sheet. And we'll talk a lot about Quinn Hughes as we move along here. But that secondary wave, and when Pia Suter isn't in the lineup to help out, there are too many guys that have, quite frankly, gone too cold for this hockey club. Yeah, and it, you know, at least... Hoaglander, with his visibility, does end up getting onto the score sheet a little bit this season. My goodness, Connor Garland, like, I, I notice him. Like, he he is working up there. He is buzzing around. Uh, we talked about speed. He's using what speed he has right now. But I don't know if it's puck luck, if it's just where he puts the puck when he eventually gets to it on the forecheck. Because he's doing a lot of the hard work. Like, uh, he's F1 a lot of the time here. First guy on the boards, on the end boards. And yet, I don't know if he's just putting it in the wrong places here, but there's just no bottom line, and, and nor does it really ever come close to having bottom line. Like, I, I see him get there first, ties up the puck. I, I mean, I don't know how many times he and, and then Joshua joins in, and they, you know, jam away at it on the boards, and then the puck squirts out loose, and all of a sudden it's on a crack and stick, and it's the other way, and it's just sort of like 12, 15 seconds of offensive zone time, but really nothing happened. Yeah, and that's kind of been the pattern with Connor Garland, who... Uh, by the way, has, has played well against the Seattle Kraken. You think back to the first ever game at Climate Pledge, and he was getting into it with fans uh, at the side of the bench and and scored a nice goal down the right side. I remember that one uh, vividly. But, yeah, you want hard work, but these are pros. Like, they should all be working hard. It's, it's hard to pat the guy on the back for saying, hey, you work hard when you're being paid what you're paid, and you have a history of putting the puck in the net. I mean, he is a 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, hasn't been for the Vancouver Canucks. It can't be one big night in Montreal and then go weeks again until the next one. So, you know, not to single him out, 
some really interesting ice times in this hockey game as well. Like Connor Garland played 12 and a half minutes, basically a third line guy. But for a guy that has been going in the eyes of the head coach, you know, that's not a lot of ice time. And we saw in the second period, Rick Tockett's been pretty good. Uh, and he hasn't had a reason to go away from the line combinations that he's had. But he got the old blender out. He did a little bit in the third period the other night in Calgary. And I think that was just searching for any sort of spark at the end of that stretch where his team looked like it had run into the wall. They had the day off yesterday. You wanted to think that they'd have a little bit more energy. You hoped that the crowd would provide a little boost for them as well. But into that second period, and I think it started with Andre Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko looked like the guy that was getting parked for a shift or two. And then from there, it really was just sort of, uh, you know, it almost felt like there was a randomness to who was being tapped to, to hop over the boards. Yeah, and, and you do wonder if there's a moment where there's some permanent changes, although you can argue against it too here. They had all the success, you know, stretch of four or five games that are mediocre, and you do you switch it completely? Although, you know, we see at the start of every season, none of this stuff is etched in stone. None of it is meant to be permanent. You have all these players at your disposal, and you're free to – find combinations throughout the course of 82 games to find lightning in a bottle 82 times, really. So part of me wants him to go back to the OG lines of 10 games ago, but just because they had a nice run does not mean it should be the permanent fixture. No, I mean, let's deal with Kuzmenko for a little bit here. I mean, obviously the guy takes the puck in the chops the other night, leaves, doesn't play in Calgary, had the chance to talk to him this morning. I don't know if you saw the interview or saw the quotes. I mean, Uh, Credit to him. The big smile is back, and he's very fortunate that that puck wasn't about an inch and a half higher. I'm not sure that smile would have looked like Chris Tanner's smile. Uh, He probably would have lost some teeth. So really, for him to just miss a game, some stitches and some bruising. And it was interesting, too, that he wore a, a jaw protector at the morning skate and was able to convince the medical staff or whomever uh, to ditch it. And he just played with the visor. But it is a bit of a strange season for him. Not a single shot on goal in this game. And you could understand human nature if, you know, you're just a little gun shy after taking a puck in the the yard the other night. But it's been a grind for him. And, And I outlined the numbers now, seven without a goal and one in 12 for a guy who was such a revelation last year in his first season in the National Hockey League. And obviously... Some of that's power play related, and he's not scoring the power play goals, but he's not scoring at five on five either. And so I am kind of curious, you know, where this goes for Andre Kuzmenko, because just not the fact that they're on goals when, you know, not a volume shooter, we know that, but no shots on goal in this hockey game just quite frankly hasn't looked all that dangerous on many nights this season. At times I've wanted him to shoot and he doesn't. At times I felt like he's overhandled the puck and kind of lost it and it's uh, it's been a turnover flummox as to what's gone on with him because we, we mentioned, and people can go back and listen to the early rink wides, even when this team was humming, we sort of mentioned, wow, I mean, almost a point per game for Kuzmenko and yet where were his highlights? You know, it, it was he was pretty fortunate to get the points that he was getting even at the time. So... I feel okay saying, yeah, he hasn't been good for much of the season. Good is, he hasn't been positive. He hasn't been noticeable. I don't know that he's been terribly negative either, but he hasn't been a creator. And a guy that high in the lineup making that much money, you want him to be a creator. You want him to be a positive for the team. And that hasn't really been there. Now, who are the top six? If you, the top six where you talk about Phil Giuseppe, he's in a top six role right now. We've talked about Garland. Is that a top six replacement? You know, so 
if not Kuzmenko, then who? I don't know that there's many options right now for the Canucks. No, I I think you kind of have to let that line play its way out. You know, uh, Elias Pettersson picks up an assist, and he and Miller and Hughes all figure in the scoring, so they all uh, jump back out in front of Nikita Kucherov and uh, have a you know the three-way tie for the NHL scoring. Like it's hard to knock those guys; they're leading the league in scoring, and yet Pettersson certainly. Uh, has slowed in terms of his production pace and that line as a trio. You know, they had a nice night in Ottawa when Mikheyev scored a couple of goals and they did make some things happen there. And Pedersen scored the late power play goal as well against the Senators. But really since then, and that feels like uh, a long time ago, there just hasn't been a whole lot there. So uh, you hope that this injury, if we're calling it that, I mean, puck in the face, I think qualifies as an injury. Sure. Uh, missed a game, but I hope that it isn't sort of going to set Kuzmenko back in any way because uh, they need him. They need him to be a generator. They need him to ultimately find some ways to score when on those nights when the power play is not going or Pedersen doesn't put this team on his back. uh, There are going to have to be some nights where that next level and Kuzmenko is certainly in that group. Uh, they're going to have to find a way to to generate some offense. When I look at this game, the way it unfolded, and maybe this speaks to the level that Thatcher Demko has been at, Blake, all season long, that there were some miscues that wound up in the Canucks' net. And and I'm sort of wrestling with the idea that maybe they have made some mistakes. I mean, they clearly they haven't played perfect hockey. No. But Demko has been pretty close. And, I, you know, has he been there as that last line of defense where the miscues haven't wound up in their net? But on the Alexiak goal, and you've heard Rick talk at Harp about quick changes and hustling to the bench – Elias Pettersson and Ilya Mikheyev, both a little slow, I thought, on the change with the puck in the neutral zone. Then you've got guys coming off the bench that are scrambling into the play on the back check. And, man, there was a ton of ice for Jamie Alexiak to just wind up. And when a guy his size winds up, that's a big windup. Just blew it past Thatcher Demko. So, you know, that was a miscue there. There was a bad line change, long change in the second period. But that one turned into the one-all goal. And then, look, Quinn Hughes, again, has been so incredible. You hate to pick at some of his mistakes, but he's got the puck on his stick so much that there are going to be some miscues. And he didn't make his best effort to clear the puck on the goal that wound up being the the 3-2 goal, I guess, that put Seattle back in front, the Yanni Gord goal. Hughes had the puck in the corner, kind of a high flip. Borgen keeps it into the point, and ultimately it works its way to the front of the net and Gord there to, to deflect it home. So... You're going to take all the good that Quinn Hughes offers, yeah, but I suppose you have to live with the odd mistake, but we're starting to see the odd mistake. We saw a turnover the other night against the Islanders that wound up on the Bo Horvat goal. And so, you know, I don't know if that's a sign that Quinn Hughes is wearing down just a touch or, you know, our team's now pressuring him more than they were early in the season. I didn't feel this was a result of pressure. I thought he had time here to make a play, and unfortunately he just kind of handed it away. Uh, to the blue line. Yeah, Ronick actually a minute more ice time than uh, than Hughes in, in the game. But, you know, for Hughes, I think he may have been a victim of his own success here in that his dipsy doodle and spins and, and, and spectacular play was batting almost 1,000 in the first 15 yeah. games of the season. And he's been caught versus Calgary. And here I thought of making the fancy play and, and – in some cases, giving it away, in some cases, nearly giving it away and having to really make up for the issue. And so uh, I think at times he's got to learn to play a little bit simpler. And and you know what happens? You think back two years ago to Kale McCarr, and the guy was a human highlight reel every single night. 
And last year, we didn't see that, see that Kale McCarr. Either he couldn't do it or teams were shutting that down, but uh, there are adjustments that players are going to have to make, and the Canucks are maybe being forced into some of those adjustments early on. I mean, some of these big guns are playing an average of one minute per shift, and I think most coaches are going to bristle at that, right? Um Pedersen's, you know, 58-second shift, same thing with uh, JT Miller. Maybe this is why Kuzmenko isn't getting a ton of ice time, but 59-second shifts for Kuzmenko. they got to be careful with that. A, it's tiring, and B, it usually doesn't put you in the best stead with the head coach when he's, uh, you know, giving you the uh, the raised eyebrow every time you're returning to the bench for staying out there for a minute. I mean, last time over versus Calgary, I believe, I looked at the second period of JT Miller. I think the quickest shift in the second period for JT Miller was a minute 14. They've got to be careful on this. And at home, it's a little bit easier because at least you've got last change. And I, I worry about this team going on the road a little bit and being caught with the ice time that they're currently assigning to themselves because it's just, it's up to you. You got to get to the bench at a, at a more opportune time. Well, we'll talk about the depth defenders because that is a storyline here as well as Akito Hiroshi. Uh, return to the lineup, and Noah Juleson stays in. Mark Friedman was the healthy scratch. We'll get to those guys later, but look, we talked about Quinn Hughes and the miscues, but let's look at the other side as well. Uh, they needed a goal in that second period. Looked like maybe they were going to limp into the second intermission, down 2-1, to one, and the captain comes through. We don't see the slap shot from him often, but he has shown that he has put in the work in the offseason to improve his shot in a variety of ways, the angles, the... Uh, line of sight that he's finding, and this time, you know, put whatever he weighs in at, 175, 180 pounds, he put it all behind that one and just blows it past the goaltender. And that's not a goal that we see an awful lot from Quinn Hughes, but Blake, he's up to seven. Seven on the season. He's matched his total from last year, and we've always said, pucks on his stick so much, he means so much to this team, the double digits should absolutely be in his wheelhouse. Well, uh, he might be there before the end of the month, the way that uh, he is scoring here. So, we all knew he was an incredible player, but the way that he has leveled up and his goal scoring is certainly one of the areas that he has raised his game. And so his seventh of the season ties this thing at two with four minutes to go in that second period. I threw this out on social media because I, I, I the only thing that jumped to mind was Bo Horvat coming back and all of a sudden being a fast skater. Uh, I saw somebody respond to that saying, yeah, I thought Bo was an AHL player when he was a rookie uh, because of his skating. And we saw Bo Horvat, you know, work on it and come back a different player. We're, we're seeing that with Quinn Hughes right now. I, I mean, that was a good shot. That was a, that was a high-velocity shot. I did not think he had that in his quiver. And he's also just looking for the right opportunities to shoot where I don't know that he necessarily was in years gone by. But he's one off a career high already. And the minute you get to double digits, you're all of a sudden, you're an offensively contributing uh, shooter on, on the blue line. And the minute you get to 15 or 20 goals, my goodness, you're out of sight. And there is no reason to believe, never mind double digits, I think now we should expect him to be a 15 to 20 goal scorer this season, at which point that's a very special defenseman given everything else that he does for this team. I think I would have thought 10 goals from him would have been an improvement of three. It would have got him over that double-digit threshold that if that was a knock on him in the eyes of some voters around the National Hockey League, then, you know, if you get to 10, then that's out of the way. But I'm with you now. Like, I, I this is really going to be one of the things that I, I track the rest of this season, and I'm sure lots of fans will as well. Like, where will he top out as a goal scorer? Because we know he's elite when it comes to setups and picking up assists and generating offense, but uh, he absolutely has added goal scoring to uh, that long list of weapons that he possesses that makes him one of the best in the National Hockey League. Unfortunately for Quinn Hughes and his hockey club, they 
drop a 4-3 decision to the Seattle Kraken, mentioned off the top. Second time this year, they've lost back-to-back. They dropped the games in Philadelphia and Tampa at the start of that first Eastern road trip, and then they responded the win in Florida, and that kind of got them rolling again, and we'll see if they can start a new win streak on Monday night against the San Jose Sharks. So if you're looking for an opponent to feel good about and get back in the good books, uh, <laughs> can't ask for a whole lot more than a visit from the San Jose Sharks. Although I should point out that the Sharks haven't played since Thursday. We know that the Canucks are uh, in a busy portion of their schedule here. So the Sharks have basically had the weekend off. So they'll be rested and refreshed and ready to go uh, when they arrive at Rogers Arena on Monday. It's time now for our Betway bet of the day. And for me, I think the Canucks are going to turn into Pittsburgh Penguin fans. Sidney Crosby, a nice little season he's putting together as a 36-year-old. Hey, you can cheer on the Penguins, take down the Vegas Golden Knights, keep them within arm's length of the Vancouver Canucks if uh, a VGK takes a loss tomorrow. So 195 on the Penguins to be victorious over Vegas. There you go. That's your Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. We're just getting started here as we break down a 4-3 Kraken victory over the Vancouver Canucks, this I-5 rivalry, if you will. Same teams will hook up on Friday at Climate Pledge Arena, and then that's it until February. And we should also point out, this was it. Like, see a Kraken next season. One visit to Vancouver this year. Credit to the Kraken fans that traveled. There were a lot of uh, Kraken jerseys in the stands for their one and only visit to Rogers Arena this season. But the rivalry part of this is still very much a work in progress and and probably won't truly become one until these teams meet in the playoffs whenever that happens. But uh, there was some feeling in the hockey game. Yeah, I think it's got a long way to go before we can truly call this uh, a rivalry. Not feeling it. Not feeling it, no. All right, 4-3, crack and beat the Vancouver Canucks. This is Rink-Wide Vancouver. It's Rink-Wide Vancouver breaking down a Canucks 4-3 loss to the Seattle Kraken. The Canucks now 12-5-1. Their first outright loss at Rogers Arena. They're 6-1-1 on home ice. So the home ice record is still awfully good, but... The New York Islanders were able to come to town and extend the game to overtime. So the Isles got something out of that game. And the Kraken take the two points, and they head for home. And as we said, the two teams will meet at Climate Pledge on Friday. Let's hear from the head coach here, Blake. Uh, Curious to get Rick Tockett's take on the way that this game unfolded and just uh, exchanging messages with some that were there uh, in the press conference. Uh, They said, really, this is the first time that Tockett didn't feel like I mean, he's such a great listen uh, when you have the opportunity to talk to him, but uh, it didn't sound like he wanted to stick around and explain his hockey team and its performance in this one. He basically talked about the things that we did, that uh, there were some fundamentals that went by the wayside. Our changes were awful. Long shifts. You can't, you can't, that's 500 hockey. You can't win that way. You know, um, it wasn't good enough for like, uh, you know, if, if we're going to really have the staples as our Bible, um, it wasn't good. Awful changes and long shifts, and that's what happens. You know, uh, both teams played. You know, there's no excuses. They played as many games as us in those days. They were a little bit hungrier on pucks. Basically, that's really the game. If the staples are going to be their Bible, Blake, I like that line from the head coach. But uh, yeah, I mean, we mentioned uh, you know the line change, long shifts, not going to win uh, if you're doing those things over the long haul in the eyes of the head coach. So. 
you know, it'll be interesting to see if there are learnings from this, but uh, certainly sounds like uh, Rick Tockett had to play the heavy a little bit with his hockey club, and he hasn't had to do that very much this season. Going according to form in terms of, I always go back to Elaine Vigneault's comments about being on a on a win streak and a losing streak. That when you're playing a losing, when you're on a losing streak, you play really well, and you still lose a few games at the end of the losing streak before you turn it around. And at the end of the winning streak, you play kind of crappy, but get away with things for a little bit before you start to lose a couple. And I think the Canucks were headed in that direction anyway. And they've shown some foibles here in the last week, and now it's back to back losses for them. And and this is when you reset, and this is when you. You sort of break it back down to the simple stuff, and that's why I think Rick talking the same, like the staples, back, back to just short shifts, having lots of energy. You know, it's funny, they go down by two goals, and then they sort of came at them. You know, but it was sort of almost too little too late, even with nine minutes to go or however long it was in the in the third period. Like, you need to work a little bit faster than that, and sense when you're losing control of a game and then flood the other team. But they sort of found their legs far too little, far too late, and they need to make sure that they get there a little bit sooner. And and best way to do that is keeping those shifts short. Uh, Ian Cole has been a terrific addition on the ice. I also find him to be a very uh, interesting guy to talk to. Uh, He's come one of those. I mean, he's been around the league so long. He's pretty much seen it all. But, you know, there's that element of being a teller of truths, like on the few nights that they haven't played well. Uh, he hasn't tried to sugarcoat things. And so interesting to hear him after this one. You know, make sure that he recognizes the good that the Canucks have done to get to this point at 12-5-1, but also to recognize that if they think they're as good as the record, that's perhaps when trouble is going to be invited into the equation. So they've lost back-to-back games, and it's going to be on the leadership group and some of the veteran guys to steer this back in the right direction. Here was Ian Cole on the opportunity that got away from the Vancouver Canucks tonight. We've done a lot of good things. Um, so I'm not trying to discount all, all that good stuff that we did. And, you know, we have grown a lot. We have matured. But, you know, there are just there are times in games where, you know, you should be able to grab this and, and take advantage of, of a good situation or an opportunistic, be opportunistic in that sense. And, um, you know, I don't think we did that. So, um, you know, we had to talk about it after here. Um, you know, we're, we were, we're aware of it. And, you know, hopefully we, you know, we don't let that, let that happen again. And that's interesting, too, that, you know, we touched on it. 2-2 going to the third period, like, it was there for the Canucks. And so you can just tell by the the frustration in the voice of Ian Cole that he recognizes that uh, missed opportunity. But I I thought that was really interesting at the end there where he said, you know, we talked about it in this locker room. So, uh, again, I think that's what the good teams do. They acknowledge when things aren't going quite right. And they're going to have to do whatever it takes to to get the thing steered back in the right direction. They didn't deserve to win either of these games, I don't think. But they were in both of the games late enough that in an alternate universe where they find some legs earlier, they, they squeeze points out of both of these games. And, and unfortunately, it just was not to be. Yeah, and just on the third period, uh, you know, outshot 9-8. to eight. Again, 2-2 going to the third. You're at home. Points are there for the taking. The high dangers, according to Natural Statric, were 4-1 in favor of the Kraken in that third period. And Thatcher Demko did have to make some saves. And so, again, I just think on the balance of performance in that third period, just not good enough for the Canucks. On the night, the high dangers, 10-5 in the Kraken's favor. So at even strength, even though the Canucks scored three times, so did the Kraken at 5-on-5. So it was a push in that regard, but territorially. Lots of 4-on-4. Four four. Remember, it was 12-6 at even strength. At 5-on-5, five five, it was 10-5. It was right. At even strength, it was 12-6. to six. But And you look at the scoring chances overall, 
mediocres included, Canucks get the, the, the bigger balance, but they're just being kept to the outside. Those high dangers just aren't theirs right now. Uh, let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars of this hockey game. And as we usually do on the program, look at uh, who was selected in the building. The Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada crew goes with Jordan Everly as the first star, Quinn Hughes the second, and Matty Beneers as the third star. Uh, I've got the two Kraken players as one and two. Everly had a goal and two assists. A nice feed to Beneers there where Tyler Myers blew a, a tire in the corner, unfortunately for him. And, and Beneers made no mistake. So Jordan Everly with three points. He's in on three of the four Seattle goals. Uh, his was reviewed and it counted. Uh, I haven't asked you what you thought of that one. So we'll do that in a sec. But Everly the first star. Beneers with a goal and an assist. So two points for him. And it's been a little bit of a slower start than I think some had hoped, probably him included, but uh, nights like this one maybe uh, will rev his engine a little bit. So he has two points. I've gone with Philip Hironik as my third star. I know Quinn Hughes, we talked, yeah, the goal was great, but uh, there was a giveaway. This wasn't anywhere close to Quinn Hughes' best night. Philip Hironik plays 29 minutes and three seconds. That's a new career high for him. So they leaned on him. He picked up the assist, put the puck in the wheelhouse of uh, Hughes for the uh, the goal, and Philip Arona continues to pick up points. Had the streak snapped in Calgary the other night, but maybe this is the start of a new one. I've got Philip Hironik as the third star. So Everly, Beneers, and Hironik, the rink-wide Vancouver. Three stars of this hockey game. What did you think of the Everly goal when you saw it in real time and then after a handful of, re- of video reviews? Great discussions all around Canada, I'm sure, watching this game. The puck going over the line for the Canucks it seems like an easy fix. Sure. And for those watching at home, you heard the discussion on, on hockey night as well. The chip over line, that's an easy one. The height thing, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a stick, I, I mean, maybe there's technology that I'm not thinking about there. Maybe that, maybe there's a chip that can detect how far off the ice surface it is when it changes direction abruptly. I think that one might be a tougher fit and, and the camera angles are not very conclusive. I don't even think their camera angles are very conclusive, Jeff. We've seen, we've looked over the shoulders. There's been camera angles that, that that show what the refs are looking at, and it's pretty much what we get at home. And there's never really a great angle of heights of sticks. So I, I think that's that's something that the NHL will want to work on, not necessarily for a game on November the 18th in Vancouver, but... My goodness, in the playoffs where that can be a big, big difference, uh, you'd hope you'd get a better angle at a at a goal like that. Yeah, and there was that moment where nobody knew where the puck was and then yeah, it somehow yeah. just appeared in behind Thatcher Demko, so a bit of a strange one. And that could have been whistled down too. Like one more second, doesn't the ref blow the whistle there because he doesn't know where it is either? There's a sight of the puck, perhaps, yeah. And as we said, the Canucks have had some bounces go their way in the early going. Maybe this is uh, part of all that uh, equaling out as well, because the other night in Calgary, you know, Casey DeSmith makes that one save and the puck sitting behind him. Uh, and unfortunately for him, Dylan Dubé was able to swoop in and tap it home. Canucks fall 4-3 to three to the Seattle Kraken. They've lost back-to-back. They're at home to the Sharks on Monday night. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Quiet Vancouver, it's Jeff and it's Blake with you. We'll get to the staff that stands out here momentarily. Want to get into the Rinkwide social channels and see what some of our listeners were thinking about this one as well. At Rinkwide Van on both the Twitter, or X, and Insta as well. 
Uh, this is from Joey. They're letting bad habits creep back into the game. Haven't played a great 60 minutes since the Dallas game, and that was a handful of Saturdays ago. They definitely miss Susie and Suter, and yeah, I mean, they are being challenged that, uh, you know, injuries haven't hit the top of the lineup, but I do think the effects of the injuries are being felt, and we'll talk about the depth of defensemen here in a sec. Jim saying their lack of depth at D was noticeable. Juleson shouldn't be in the lineup. Todsky saying, bring back game and a hashtag. We might at some point. He's gone with hashtag gassed. I, I was willing to use that one on uh, Thursday in Calgary, but uh, yesterday was supposed to be the reset. Friday was the day off and then back at it. And if you thought they were gassed in this one, this is the first of five in the next eight nights with some travel. They've got three and four out on the road here coming up uh, towards the end of the week. So uh, again, the challengers are there in front of them. Lawai, the team needs more legit top six wingers. Nobody besides Petey and Miller drive play. McKayev and Besser are solid coups, and PDG are replaceable. Imagine that, uh, coups. A 39-goal score, now apparently replaceable. We talked about him earlier. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go there and put him on the trash heap, but yeah, I mean, not playing and certainly not scoring at the level that he was. Amon says, too much perimeter play, no net front attack, especially on the power play. And when the goalie was pulled, need to attack that net as well. Kuzmenko needs to get there and start putting the garbage in the back of the net like he did last season. And absolutely, that, I mean, those goals are just not part of his game at this stage. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of themes. Uh, JF and Joey Jojo both put, saying Susie and Suter are missed, and I'm seeing a lot of mentions of uh, the officiating. Did they miss a few? Perhaps. But again, I don't know that you want to necessarily be leaning on that if you're the Vancouver Canucks every single time. Well, they get the power play to bail us out. Uh, let me ask you this, Jeff. Are they relying? Like, I I think this team is can be skilled. I know the stats don't necessarily back this up on the rush, but they are a skilled team. I think on the rush, this team can be very good. Does Rick Tockett have them dumping it in too much now because they worked so well in the sort of that the half court game, whether it was five on five or of course on the power play, it was definitely working. But do they rely on that dump in, work it back out to Hughes or Ronick? And then offense to flow from there. Should they just be trying to to make plays off the rush a little bit more? You know, I, I hear you. And yet, when I look at the notes that I've got in this, like Ian Cole off the rush came as the trailer in the first period and had a great chance off the left wing. Hughes went racing down the left side in the second period, found PDG in front, and he had a, a pretty good look. And then Hironic came in off the right side, took a nice pass, cross-ice pass from JT Miller. I thought that there were some rush chances in this game. They just didn't pull the trigger. And maybe, again, the margins can be so slim. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, earlier this season, those chances are finding their way into the net for just about everybody. And it's not happening right now. And so it's hard to call it a trend. Look, I think some of this, and I see some of this in the feedback channels as well, like, I think people do think that Elias Pettersson is less than 100%. And to the eye, it does sort of feel that way. And yet, you know, he missed the one practice a couple of weeks ago, but he's been a full participant in practice. He hasn't missed any games here, but it does feel like he's playing through something. And we don't know what, and we don't know the extent, but, you know, how long is that going to last? And is this compressed schedule, obviously, it would just be a huge challenge for anybody that's playing through anything. Obviously, Pia Suter's at a point where he can't play through whatever's dogging him right now. Petey's giving it a go, but, you know, again, we're just not seeing a ton of that uh, Elias Pettersson magic. I mean, there are moments within games that, and if he was in danger of, you know, hurting himself more, 
I think early in the season with the points that they've put in the bag, like they wouldn't be taking any chances with this guy. So the fact that he's good to go, everybody plays through things uh, throughout the season. But you just wonder if it is holding him back in any way because he means so much to this hockey club. And let's hope for his sake and for the club's sake that uh, you know he can find his way back to complete and utter uh, full health. I've mentioned a few times, let's get to it now, the depth defenders. Uh, people were talking about them in the uh, inbox as well. Akito Hiroshi plays 11 minutes and 6 seconds. No shots on goal. There was a block shot for him. Noah Juleson logs 12 minutes and 50 seconds, uh, 45 seconds of penalty kill time. Had four hits in the hockey game as well. Took a penalty too. So uh, those were sort of the, the stats for those two guys. I'm glad that Hiroshi got his opportunity uh, kind of on the yo-yo this week, up and down with uh, some roster manipulation. You know, was here the other day and was a healthy scratch and people wondered why. And they got past the Islanders. And so then they turned around and they needed Linus Carlson in Calgary on Thursday night. So Hiroshi had to go back down. Then he came back up here. Yeah, he looks like Rikito Hiroshi from what we've seen. Like, it doesn't look out of place at this level. Thought he was fine. I don't think he's a star and isn't going to be a star. And I know from the people that have watched him closely down in Abbotsford this year, it's kind of been a a middling start to his season in the American Hockey League. You know, and, and when we saw the level he was at when he turned pro last year, I think people thought that maybe he would dominate in the American Hockey League. That hasn't happened for him yet. I thought he was okay. Way down the list, If uh, I'm not even sure he would be on a list of my concerns in this hockey game, but yeah, I'm not sure that I can go a whole lot better than okay either. Uh, Hirose was fine. Uh, his underlying numbers are, are good. Won the shot share, won the shot attempt share, uh, won the expected goals battle. Juleson was over on all those. Actually, sorry, he was even for shot share, 4-4-4 four, 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 four and against at 5-on-5. Five, uh, five five. So um, he certainly seemed to outperform Juleson, who is starting to make some louder mistakes versus Hiroshi, who I can honestly say I did not notice so much. I, I, in fact, I felt like I heard his name for the first time in the second period. So, uh, And that's a good thing for him. You know, as a call-up uh, playing his third game of the season, and with his inexperience, I, I almost liked the fact that I didn't know that, notice him out there. So as opposed to Juleson, who he makes some positive plays physically, that he can be noticeable in that way, but I think there's some loud mistakes. There's some pizzas, if you will, and uh, he's got to limit those. Yeah, there's not a lot of puck skills when it comes to Noah Juleson, and you, you know, you've got to eliminate penalties. Penalties are going to happen, but uh takes the first period tripping penalty and puts the Canucks down, and the Kraken power play actually came into this game red hot. Now, neither team scored in the power play. Canucks went 0 for 2 officially. There were the overlaps in the third period there. The Kraken officially were 0 for 3, but you know, are they better with Mark Friedman in and Noah Juleson taking a seat and Akita Hiroshi keeping his spot in the lineup? I guess that's the decision that the coaching they staff is going to have to make here yeah. uh, for Monday night against the San Jose Sharks. Canucks are going to have a practice on Sunday. Uh, there won't be a lot of practice time the rest of the week because I think uh, they're flying on Tuesday to Denver and then three and four out on the road. Uh, so they'll get in a practice on Sunday and you know maybe we'll get a little read on what the coaching staff is thinking as far as the defense uh, pairings are concerned ahead of Monday's game against the San Jose Sharks. Let's stick with that theme of the defense. I mentioned it earlier, but the stat that stands out to me is Philip Hironik and just the amount of ice time, the amount that they lean on this guy. 29.03 was up over 10 minutes of the second period and in the nine-minute range in the third. And so a new career high for him in the regular season at 29.03. That's certainly a stat that stands out. And Quinn Hughes wasn't far behind. And again, this is the danger when you're down Carson Soucy. And so you've basically got two fill-ins in Juleson and Hiroshi. You know, those two guys are going to play and play a ton. But 
they play again Monday, and then they play Wednesday, and then they play Friday, Saturday, and at some point, everybody kind of taps out and, and has their limit. And, you know, we saw the group collectively play that way on Thursday in Calgary. So uh, the first game of five and eight, and you're playing Phila Hronica, new career high, and Quinn Hughes at 2807. Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, they get the rest between games and on the team flight and those types of things because uh, they're going to be asked to do an awful lot here uh, in the short term. You know, you look at the, it feels like the Canucks are taking on water a little bit. Coaches look at things in, in different increments, of course. Some go five games, some go a little bit shorter, a little bit longer. One way to look at it is just the days of the week. You look at a calendar, it starts on a Sunday on the left side of your screen, ends on a Saturday at the other the other side. That's the way most calendars are set up. I look at the last three weeks. Canucks are 3-0 in the week that includes half of October and into November. November 5th to 11th, Canucks are 2-1. and Wins over the Oilers and Senators, loss versus the Leafs to finish. And this past week, four games, busy week, they go 2-2. Two and two. So they had two winning weeks and a 500 week. Uh, again, you, if, if if that's every three weeks for the Vancouver Canucks, you will take that a thousand times over. So uh, I think you, you try to just lop that off and say, okay, it's the end of that week. They have another four-game week now staring at them starting on Monday versus the San Jose Sharks. And honestly, at this point, Jeff, and we talked about what that cushion did for them, you might, with three of these games, I think you might almost take another two and two week this week and just kick the can down the road until you can catch your breath in, in another week's time. I don't think there's any shame in going two and two. No, I, I think a week that has two games against the San Jose Sharks, you'd like to think that you can get points out of those games. But in saying that, I mean, the Sharks have found a level, whatever that is. Yeah. They're three and three in their last six games. That's and right. they're coming off a 5-1 win over St. Louis the other night. And as I said earlier, they haven't played since Thursday. So they're not the 0-10-1 team that the Canucks beat up 10-1, to and then the Penguins did basically the same two. You know, they're getting some goaltending from Mackenzie Blackwood. I think they're starting to feel a little bit more confident about themselves. They're still going to be in deep. They're going to finish close to, if not at the bottom of the standings. But if the Canucks go in thinking it's going to be another easy one, that they beat them 10-1 to once, they can do it again, you know, they have to be careful. And so maybe back-to-back losses will snap them to attention here you know, so those games are on the plate. A game in Denver on Wednesday, that's going to be tough. But, you know, those are the measuring sticks. Like, really, when you look at the first 18 games the Canucks have played, like, they haven't seen a lot of the top teams in the National Hockey League. So you play the games as they're on your schedule. You don't ever have to apologize for wins. But when you look at who they have defeated and when you look at the league standings, you know, they haven't seen the Boston Bruins. They haven't seen the Vegas Golden Knights. They haven't seen the LA Kings yet. I haven't seen Colorado, Winnipeg's in the top 10. They haven't seen the Jets yet. Washington, surprising some. They're in the top 10 as well. You know, they lost in overtime to the Rangers. They did beat Dallas, and they played well that night. They beat the Florida Panthers. So they do have some wins over top 10 teams, but the bulk of their schedule has sort of been middle to bottom of the pack. And over the course of 82, you play everybody. There will be stretches that are tough based on the compression of games. There's going to be stretches that are tough based on you know, the quality of your opponent. So you've got two against San Jose. You see the Seattle team at home at Climate Pledge on Friday. And then next Saturday is back-to-back in the tank. The three and four on the road, that part won't be easy. So, you know, they missed an opportunity at home against Seattle on Saturday. They get another one against the Shark team on Monday. Uh, They had best grab those points because uh, it does get a little tougher as the week rolls on. But you're right. If uh, if the off weeks at the end of the season are the two and two weeks, then 
you know that this team has done what it needs to do to, to put itself in position to be above that playoff bar. And I just think back to Bruce Boudreaux as well. That was always his thing, right? Win the week as he took over for, you know, when the took over from Travis Green and this team was right. taking on all sorts of water. It wasn't big picture. It was just win the week and then win the next one. And they did a fair bit of that down the stretch, but obviously not enough to get into the playoffs uh, two seasons ago. 4-3, the Vancouver Canucks fall to the Seattle Kraken. JT Miller with his 11th of the season, Quinn Hughes with his 7th, and Nils Hoaglander late with his 5th of the year, but he scored him back-to-back, and Hoaglander now with 5 goals through the team's first 18 games. And, of course, he hasn't played them all because he's been a healthy scratch. So for Nils Hoaglander, the numbers are even more impressive with 5 goals now in the 16 games that he has played. So better than you know one every 4 games. You take that from a guy that's playing 10 minutes a night at the NHL level. Uh, that is going to do it for us. Canucks will practice on Sunday at Rogers Arena and then uh, take on the Sharks there on Monday. And that's when we'll do our next episode of Rinkwide after the Canucks and the Sharks on Monday night. But for Blake, this is Jeff. As always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.